Thank you, Todd. Thank you for that. It's a beautiful song. The people God gives you. It's good. It's good. All right. Take your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 6. I hope you're doing well today and here on this uh, nice, chilly Sunday morning. It's good to see you in God's house. We're glad that you're here to worship with us and to look into God's Word. Um, as you're turning there to Mark chapter 6, we're going to continue our series, Join the Journey. And the title of the message today is Against the Wind. Against the Wind. Uh, let me mention a couple things. One of our missionaries, Ronnie Morales, has a need for a car for the next uh, three months. He's going to be traveling between Ohio and North Carolina, and he's looking for an extra car to travel. You know, he's a, one of our missionaries in the Philippines, and they have to come over here, and they have no resources to be able to travel around. But if you might would like to help on that, you got an extra car that he could use for about three months, uh, please let me know on that. And then um, First Christian gave us three extra tickets, free tickets to um, Lee Strobel is going to be over at their church. Uh, he's uh, strong in apologetics, the case for Christ, if you've had an opportunity to read that. If you're interested in that, i got three tickets right here. Um, and you can also get tickets online if you want to purchase them, but I did say I would mention that for them. Uh, he's wonderful to hear. I've heard him before, and he does a, a wonderful job. Mark chapter 6. Let's stand together. I'm going to read now from God's Word. I'm going to read verses 45 all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 56. Follow along now as I read. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them, about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and, <clears throat> and would have passed by them. When they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship straightway, they knew him and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick, which they heard he was, where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into the villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that he might touch it, even if it were but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. You may be seated. This is the last story in the book of Mark about getting on a boat. And uh, if I was the 13th disciple, as I've said many times, if Jesus said, get on a boat, I'm going to be like, I'm staying on the shore. Because <laughs> something's going to go wrong on that boat, no matter who you are. But that is the special thing that Jesus wants to teach them through getting on boats. And so today they come up against a fierce wind. The difference here in this story is they're alone on the boat. They're alone on the boat. And that's important to note. It's one thing to have Jesus on the boat with you, but it's another thing to be alone on the boat and a storm like these winds come up against them. I know sometimes I'm gone from home, and even when I think about my wife, she doesn't like to be alone. 
And so she always kind of runs me through the routine that she does when she's alone at the house at night. First thing she'll do is she'll double lock all the doors. Double lock all the doors. Some of you are, I'm with you, I'm with you, I get it. Then she sets the alarm system. Once the sun goes down, she doesn't go outside that house. Then she puts all the lights that can go on outside on. I said, do you absolutely need to do that? Yes. I've tried to talk her out of it to no avail. All the lights are on, so the whole house is lit up like Fort Knox. And then she has this little bat light searchlight, just like in Gotham City. And she puts it up in the window at night, and she search and combs the yard and the streets. And she has a megaphone in case somebody does try to break in. This is Commissioner Gordon. Get away from the house. Leave the premises. And she'll do all kinds of things like that. And I'll ask her, why, why do you have to do all that? She makes it very simple. Because I'm a woman and I'm alone. I'm a woman and I'm alone. There's something about being alone, whoever you are, that especially in this day and age with all these crazies out there, it is a fearful thing to be alone. And we don't like it for lengthy periods of time. As a matter of fact, um, it makes it more difficult to deal with, especially in our society today. Think about this for a minute. I was thinking about this this week. Aloneness is a punishment they give to inmates. They give to murderers. They give to gang leaders. I've been in maximum four security prisons where they have them in solitary confinement and they're locked up and they scream from the room. And they break down like babies and cry when they're in solitary confinement. You know, it's one thing to be alone, but it's another thing to be trapped and alone. And that's how these disciples were. They were trapped and alone. That makes a lot of difference. As we think about this aloneness today, to be trapped and alone, these disciples are between two miracles. And I don't want you to miss that because I preached last week on the feeding of the 5,000. And in the feeding of the 5,000, they saw the miracle that was done by Jesus. They're going to see when they arrive at Gennesaret, on the, at the Sea of Galilee there, they're going to see another miracle performed as people lay their, their loved ones and lay their friends on the streets so that Jesus would come by and heal them. So, they're going to see a miracle who they did, he did in the past. They're going to see a miracle he does in the future. But when they get alone and they're in the present, that's where they seem to struggle. You know, it's one thing to look at your past and say, man, I know God is good. It's another thing to look at your future and say, man, I know God is good. But it's another thing to look at where you are right now and in your trial or in your trouble or in your storm to look at that and say, now, God, are you good now? That's exactly what the disciples were struggling with, and that's exactly where we struggle. It's easy to look at our past and say, yep, God's been good. It's easy to look at our future. Yep, he's got heaven for us. What about right now? And, and that's what he wanted to teach these disciples. And so I've kind of outlined this message around four thoughts here. When God's plans don't make sense, remember four things, okay? When God's plans don't make sense, remember four things. Number one, the first thing I want you to remember is the Lord is setting you up for something. 
The Lord is setting you up for something. Okay, how do I know that? Look at this in verse 45. It says, in straightway. That's the word immediately. Some translations have immediately, and that's probably a better translation because that's the key word throughout the book of Mark. Immediately. And every time you see the word immediately, it means that Jesus is on mission. He is intent to his task, and he is going to be about his father's business. Immediately. So he immediately goes to the disciples, and he starts, it's almost like he starts pushing them. Come on, get in the boat. Come on, we're going, we're going. They just finished feeding the 5,000. They just finished eating. They're enjoying themselves, sitting around, taking in all the accolades of everything that happened. You just fed 5,000 people, and it's amazing all the leftovers we had, and amazing what you did. And Jesus is like, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, get in the boat. I'm going to go to a mountain, and I'm going to go pray, but you get in the boat. What do you mean, Jesus? Why do you, why do you, let's, let's sit around a little while. Let's enjoy the moment. I mean, these people want you to be a Messiah. These people want to praise you. These people want to lift you up. This should be a praise service. Nope, come on, come on. Come on, get in the boat. Immediately, he pushed them into the boat. Now, that doesn't make sense. And I'm sure these disciples are saying, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why, why do we have to rush? What's the big deal? The people love you. And you're ending it so quickly and so abruptly. This doesn't make sense to us. Why are you pushing us to the boat? Now, my first thought was, God's plans often don't make sense to us. God's plans don't often make sense to us. But I can tell you this, rest assured, I know that Jesus is setting them up for something, just like he's going to set you up for something in your life. Now, the verse, Bible says in verse 47, when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. Is that word alone again? And I want you to notice here, see the word even? That would be the first watch of the night. That would be between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. That's the first watch, and it's being measured here in Gentile time. First watch, even. All right, so... It could have happened around 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. We don't know for sure. But 6 o'clock arrives, and the Bible says that when it was come in the midst of the sea, he was alone on the land. He saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind became contrary unto them. All right? Now, I just want you to get a feel for this. So somewhere between 6, 7 o'clock at night in the first watch, this windstorm arises up. It's a little different than a rainstorm. It's a windstorm, right? Now, it says, that the, it says that the wind was contrary unto them. That's a Greek translation there. The wind was contrary unto them. But if you ever go to Israel and you talk, now, now you've got to remember this. Jesus spoke in Aramaic. He read the Bible in Greek, and he was a Hebrew when the Bible was written in Hebrew, but he read it in Greek. So just just kind of get that in your mind. So when I was in Israel and you would go around talking to people, you would talk to people who could speak Aramaic. And the Aramaic language is still there today in some portions of the Middle East. They don't translate this in Greek like this. They don't put the wind was contrary. That's two or three words in Greek. They just have one word for it in Aramaic, and this is probably... Uh, a good understanding of this text so you get a little better feel for it. Here's the word that the Aramaics used for this when I was there at the Sea of Galilee. Sharkia. Now you can look that up sometime. You can see that in any um, Google for that word, Sharkia. It's the word they get for shark. 
okay? That's their word for shark, too. But, but when the winds take on a certain change, and they're steady, and they're hostile, and they're intent, and they are steady, intense, hostile east winds, they're called the Sharkia winds, Sharkia winds. And that's kind of what's going on here. These intense straight winds are coming right at them from the east. And so they're in the boat. It's around 7 or 8 o'clock at night. They can't make any headway. And let me just say this. Even the most modern sailboats today can't sail directly into the wind. They can't sail directly into a fierce wind, I should say. So what do they do? They pull out the oars and they begin to row against the wind. So they're rowing against the wind, and they're straining here on the shoreline. Let me fix this. See that word straining there? That's a, that's a good word. Um, that word is the same word used for the word when demons torment people. So the word strain and the word torment are the same words in the Greek. They're just translated differently for their context. So if it's referring to a demon, it's talking about torment. But if it's talking about the winds, it's talking about the oars straining. So they're painfully pushing. They're being tormented in a way that they're fighting against this powerful, relentless force of the wind. There they are for the first time, and they're alone without Jesus. They're alone without Jesus. They're alone in the boat, right? That doesn't make sense to us. And it didn't make sense to them. All right? Now, number two, when God's plans don't make sense, remember number two, the Lord is watching you. The Lord is watching you. Look at this now. The Bible says, verse 48, and he saw them. Now, he's up in a mountain praying, and I'm sure this was a supernatural event for him. He's up in a mountain praying there off the Sea of Galilee, and he looks down on the sea, and he sees them toiling. So what's Jesus doing for them? One, he's praying for them, but number two, he's toiling. Or, excuse me, he's watching them. That's a really good thing to know for your life. So he sees them. He's in the mountain praying. He looks over, and he sees what's going on. They're fighting with the oars, and that Shakia wind is pushing them where they cannot seem to make any headway at all. Now, I want you to note something, okay? None of them said, let's just quit. Let's just quit. If you got the east wind knocking you back and knocking you back, the easier thing to do is just turn around and go with it. Just go with it. But none of them said, let's just quit. I'm tired. The Bible says they kept striving. They kept stroking the oars. Stroking. And Jesus is probably thinking at that point, I see you, boys. Good job. You're not quitting. You're not turning around. I told you to go to Bethsaida. And you're still headed to Bethsaida. Good job. You're tired, oh, but you're hustling. You're disappointed, oh, but you're pursuing. 
you're up against the odds, but the truth is you're fighting, and you keep pushing. It's just like some of you. Monday, oh, you're hustling. Tuesday, you're hustling. Wednesday, you're hustling. And you feel those winds that are against you, and they're coming against you just like they felt on the sea. Now, all of us need to understand, they struggled with this. They struggled. And here's the thing I want you to see. I'm going to kind of develop this in just a moment here with you. But these Sharkia winds have changed the time of the arrival. Have the Sharkia winds in your life ever changed your time of arrival? And that's exactly what happened to these disciples, these seasoned sailors. They struggled. Now, here's the point I want you to see. They struggled not because they deviated from what Jesus' instructions were, but they struggled because they were sticking to his instructions. I want you to go to the other side. Okay, Jesus, we'll do everything we can to get there. Are you doing everything you can to get to the other side? They were sticking to his struggles. That's why they were struggling, because they were trying to do what Jesus asked them to do. Now, if you wake up tomorrow and you say, God, whatever you want for my life today, I'm going to do it. The minute you say that, it's not going to be an easy sail-through day. You can mark it down. The minute you surrender yourself to say, God, this is your day. I want you honored. I'm going to watch my mouth. I'm going to watch what I do. I'm going to watch where I go. I want you to be honored in my life. I promise you, you're going to get some Sharkia winds in your life. You're going to get some Sharkia winds that will come against you, and you'll have to struggle. And that's going to be tough because it'll get rough. I just, want to remind, I just want to remind you, okay, Jesus sees you, and he's watching you. He's watching. And that struggle is real. And he set you up. But you're rowing. You're still rowing. The truth is, you could be doing everything God is asking you to do And you could be going up against some Sharkia winds. And the truth is, he's proud of you. He's proud of you. Now, what I fear some of you do sometimes in your life is you do this. You, you fail to see. Let me say it this way. You beat yourself up sometimes because you say things like this. I wonder why I'm not further along in my life. I wonder why things are going the way. I wonder why I'm not getting to my destinations like I wanted to get to. And you failed to see that God has set some Sharkia winds up in your life, and it wasn't about the time you get there. It is about what you're going to do with the winds you got. But you're trying to get so hard to a destination, you end up beating yourself thinking you're doing something wrong. I should have been here sooner. My marriage should have been further along. I can't believe my kids are still disrespectful to me. You're out of your mind, child, talking to me like that. My kids should be further along. 
And see, sometimes we get so hard on ourselves, we miss the fact that Jesus is saying, I put some Sharkia wins in your life. I set them up. You're not, you're, not, you're not further along like you wanted to be. I put those in your life. I pushed them against you. Stop beating yourself up. You're doing okay. You're pushing. You're fighting. You're struggling. You're hustling. God says that's exactly what I wanted to happen in your life. Now, I want to say it to you this way. Spurgeon says it better than me. So let me say it the way Spurgeon says it. They asked Spurgeon one time, they said, how have you learned to persevere in your storms? Here's what he said. Don't ever forget this. Forget my whole message, but don't forget this, okay? He said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. You see why he's a better preacher than me? <laughs> I could have never thought of that. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. It's beautiful. God has sovereignly designed your waves. I almost called this sermon, Kiss the Wave, but that wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense till this point, all right? Kiss the wave. That's hard to do, isn't it? but not if it's throwing you against the rock of ages. They could not have known this was Jesus. They could not have known they were being set up in the struggle, and they certainly could have known that God was using it to reveal himself to them. Did that ever occur to you? That he could be using the storm to reveal himself to you? Because you don't know him like you thought you did. That's number three. Let's go on. The Lord will reveal himself to you. That was simple enough. All right. Verse 48 says that they came upon the night, uh, or the winds were contrary. About the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. Okay. Now, let's just, the fourth watch. You know when the fourth watch is? So you know it? 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. That's the fourth watch. So the first watch is six to nine, all right? Six to nine. So somewhere between six and seven, a storm comes up, a Sharkia storm. Now somewhere between three and six a.m. So we don't know exactly when this was, but it was somewhere in that time frame. And so let's just say for, I did the average it out. I averaged it out. Nine hours. Nine hours, Jesus is watching them in a storm, and he's seeing them struggle. I think that's important to note because he sees them struggle and he's doing a couple things for them. He's watching them. Why don't you do something? That would be one thought, okay. But he's praying for them. He's watching for them and he's praying for them. He's interceding for them. And they've hardly moved. They've hardly got anywhere. We should have been further by now. So Jesus says, now it's time after nine hours to step into their trial to step into their situation. Jesus waits for the perfect time to step into your trial. Because I know this for a fact, Jesus will step into your trial. He will step into your trial. It's a beautiful thing. He says, I'm going to get involved. So he begins to walk on the water. 
He begins on the walk on the water to them, all right? Now, most critics can't handle this. And so I've read some of their commentaries just to mention to you a couple things. One, they believe it really didn't happen. It was an optical illusion. That they looked over in the storm, and it looked kind of like from an optical illusion that Jesus was walking on the water. But really, you know what he was? He wasn't walking on the water. He happened to be on a sandbar. And so he's on a, <laughs> in a storm. This is amazing. He's on a sandbar, and he knows where the sandbar is, and so he's walking out to them. They just will not accept that Jesus is God. And so that is the lud- most ludicrous thing I've ever thought about. Now, one thing that'll drive you nuts, and I've thought about this, is I wonder if he got his feet wet or not. <laughs> now, that'll make you think. Okay, I don't know that answer, but, but it'll make you think. Okay, so anyways... Jesus is walking on the water, and and the Bible says at the end of verse 48, and he would have passed by them. He would have passed by them. Now, that sounds like in the text that he intended to pass by. It's a very hard phrase to translate. It sounds like he sees them struggling over there, and he kind of comes out, and he walks by, and he's not really going to stop, but he's just going to kind of tip over. Hey, boys, you're doing a good job. See you later. Okay, it sounds like he would pass by them. That's what it sounds like in the, in the natural English. All translations can't translate this. All translations struggle to translate this. They're, they're all over the place, but he made as if he would pass by. It's very hard to translate, okay? He's not really tiptoeing as if he's going to go by them on purpose, all right? That's a bad translation because it doesn't really fit the text. Let me just tell you what's happening here, okay? Mark is tipping his hat to the Old Testament. Mark is tipping his hat to the Old Testament. You and I wouldn't pick up on that right away, but I think a Hebrew mind would have. The phrase he passed by is in the Old Testament, and it's the most significant phrase that you'll see when Jesus wants to give a revelation of his glory. It's always a revelation of the glory of God to pass by. That's why it doesn't translate. How are you going to put that in there? All right, so we just give the literal translation to you. This is a theophany. What is a theophany? It is a visible manifestation of the glory of God. That's what a theophany is. It is a visible manifestation of the invisible God. That's what's going on here. That's why they thought they saw a ghost, because he's glowing. It's his glory being seen when he passes by. Examples of this, Exodus 33 with Moses. Moses needed a shot in the arm. He was discouraged by what the people were putting him through, and so he kept saying to God, he said to him three times, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God says, okay, that's it. I'll show you my glory. And so what does he do? He takes him and he puts him in a cleft of the rock. They believe this was the cleft of the rock where they put Moses into that. I just thought I would show you a picture of that. Get down in between that rock because one thing, Moses, when I pass by and you see my glory, you see my goodness, you see my holiness, you cannot see my face. You're just going to see my backside as I go by. Because if you saw my face, you'd die instantly. So I'm just going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to hide you there, and then I'm going to let you see the backside of my glory. 
1 Kings 19 is this, another time. Elijah was discouraged. It's interesting they're discouraged at these points. And he told, he told God, he said, I'm the only one faithful. Everybody has forsaken you but me. See, Elijah needed a shot in the arm too. And God says, come out to the edge of the cave. And I'm going to let my glory pass by. I'm going to let my glory pass by, Elijah. That was the shot in the arm Moses needed. That was the shot in the arm Elijah needed. Now, there's more to this, but I don't got time to tell you all that, okay? But here in Mark 2, or Mark chapter 6, Jesus is consciously involved in a theophany. What does that mean? That means the glory of God that was inside of him burst through his humanity, and he looked like a ghost. His, his deity that was inside of him was unzipped from his humanity, and it just burst forth across the sea. Literally glowing, and the glory of God passed by his disciples. That's what it means. They thought it was a ghost. A phantasma is the word, or a phantom in the Greek. In any event, they thought something supernatural is going on here. My wire keeps pulling this down, and that irritates me, and I don't concentrate good, so I need to fix it. And, and when they see the ghost, they cry out. They scream is the word. They scream. Here we are, seasoned fishermen on the sea, and they're screaming like little middle school girls, just screaming away. They just witnessed the glory of God. Brave fishermen. Now, when they start screaming, look at verse 50. Look what Jesus does. For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with him. That's, that's beautiful. Just right there, that's beautiful. This is what Jesus will do in your Sharkia winds. The first thing he will do to you, he will come to you, and he will talk to you. He will talk to you. How does he talk today? He talks through the word, like he wants to talk to you right now. He talks to you through the word, and he talked with them. It's a beautiful thought. And he says, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Now, none of us want to sign up for Sharkia wins. None of us want to sign up for trials. But I will tell you this about my life. Every time I've been through one, and every time my back has been up against the wall, at the same time, there is nothing to compare to the sweetness of his presence when he comes and speaks to me in that moment. And he reveals himself to me in the word. It is the sweetest time. Yet the winds are still around me. He will say to you, take heart. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Don't be afraid. I'm here. 
here. Now, if that's happened to you, it makes all the difference in the world. Now, have you ever felt like Jesus doesn't know what you're going through? Because you say to yourself, if he did, he'd stop it. He let them go nine hours. You say, well, nine hours wouldn't be so bad for my life. He's let it go for weeks and weeks. But the truth of the matter is, just because he hasn't stopped it doesn't mean he's not there and he doesn't care and he doesn't want to not speak to you. Because there's some things that Jesus has to say to you in a storm he can't say to you any other time. Because you're not listening. Jesus knows. He's telling you, I'm watching you like I watched my disciples. Sometimes you ever thought Jesus doesn't get it because it's been so long? It has been so long that I'm going through this. What they never assumed was Jesus was going to come and walk to them. And what you never assume is that Jesus is going to come and walk to you and speak with you. But he did. He revealed himself. He revealed himself. All the while they felt isolated and alone. They were isolated and alone. But the truth is, they were never really alone. The storm was real. He didn't say it wouldn't be scary. <laughs> he didn't say it wouldn't be fearful. But he said, I promise you, I'll be with you. I, I wrote my notes. I wonder if you're here today and desperately looking for Jesus to pass by. That's a good thing to think on. All right, let me go on. I've got to go on and close this out, okay? Number four. The fourth thing to remember is to guard your heart. To guard your heart. Again, this translation, all translations are hard to get at this point, but he says to them, be of good cheer, that is, be of good courage. It is I. It is I. You see that phrase, it is I. There's no translation. I looked up 10 of them. I looked up 10 different versions in the English, and there's not one that can capture the real meaning of that phrase, it is I. Let me have you hear it in Greek, okay? Here's the word in Greek, ego, a me. Ego, a me. Let me translate that for you. In English, I am, I am. It's the sacred name for God in the Old Testament, Yahweh. When Moses said, who are you, God? I am that I am. I am, I am. That's the phrase there. There's no way to put that into the language and make sense of that. And so you just see, it is I. But it is this most sacred name for God in the Old Testament. 
I am Yahweh. It's a breath. It's just supposed to be a breath. I am Yahweh, the self-existent, all-powerful one who is present in your storm. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing to know. Now their response, when they saw the wind ceased and he stepped into the boat, they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. <laughs> now that was a strange response. They, they are utterly amazed. They're wondering. They're astonished. And then it says beyond measure. So they're past astonishment. They're past amazed. They're past being shocked. And why did they have that response? Only Mark records this phrase. Only Mark records the phrase, they considered not the miracle of the loaves, so their heart was hardened. They didn't get it. Okay, let me keep this simple, okay? What should they have got? I've read so many different guys on this. Just get to the point. What should they have got? They should have got by now, he was God in the flesh. That's what they should have got. They should have got, this is God in the flesh. I am that I am stood before us. I am that I am calmed the wind. I am that I am fed the 5,000. They should have got that. But they didn't see God in the flesh. They saw a military leader who was going to overthrow Rome. They saw this incredible Messiah, but they didn't think he was God in the flesh. They saw an incredible man, a leader that could overthrow Rome and we'll be on the mend again as a nation. Now, why didn't they get that? Why didn't they get that? Well, let me, let me just try to explain as best I can, okay? Remember Pharaoh? When, when Moses came in with all those plagues and he turned the water to blood and then he sent the frogs, and then he sent the lice, then he sent the disease of the cattle, and over and over and over again, Pharaoh had those things happen to him. And, and, and Pharaoh should have at that point, if that would have happened to us, we should at that point said, surely the Lord's in his presence. Man, get your people and go. But no, no, he hardened his heart, and he said, who is the Lord? that I should obey him. He took his, uh, his upper lip and he stiffened it and he said, I don't care who the Lord is. Now let me tell you this, okay? I want you to get this because this is, this is important to me. The reason people don't get this about Jesus Christ, it's not because they're unintelligent. It's because their hearts are stone. They have calloused themselves against God. Life has so beat them up that they're angry at God for what he has done. And they have calloused themselves and they've gotten hard. And the truth of the matter is, unless Jesus breaks through a heart, it will always be hard. It will always be hardened. And that's why people will not believe. 
That's why people will not believe. Well, let me tell you something. Don't just think of the unsaved here now, okay? He's talking to the disciples here, okay? The disciples don't get it either, okay? It's almost like God's saying, I fed 5,000, you didn't get it. I walked on the water, you didn't get it. I called myself the most sacred name for God. I am that I am, and you didn't get it. I stepped on your boat and the wind stopped, and you still didn't get it. You still didn't get it because your hearts were hard. Your hearts were hard. These disciples were committed men of God that didn't get it. They were committed men of God that kept rowing and didn't quit, kept serving God, kept doing what he wanted them to do, but they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They hardened their hearts. They would not believe that could be God in the flesh before them, walking on the water. Now, I want to just say this. Whether you've been saved two weeks or you've been saved two decades, your heart is susceptible to getting hardened. Your heart is susceptible to getting hardened. I'm telling you, we all need to pray for a soft heart. There are things right now you're hardened against a person. You're hardened against what God did in your life. You're hardened against something that happened to you. And it just keeps pushing against your heart. And it gets tougher and tougher and tougher. And you're hardening yourself. No one's doing that. You're doing it. Well, no, there's people, that person did that to me. You're the one who can harden your heart or not. Not that person. And the most dangerous thing is to be a Christian. With a hard heart. So pray for a soft heart in your life. To be receptive to whatever God wants to do. Whatever God wants to do in your life. Whoever God wants to treat you the way you've been treated. You keep a receptive heart. It is so hard. We get judgmental. We get cynical. We get impatient. Maybe we get a little cold. And maybe your takeaway today is to pray to God. God, keep my heart soft. Keep my heart soft. We all need to pray against a hard heart. Let me say this because I'm out of time here. How do you really know, Pastor Rob, that I don't have a hard heart? How do I really know? I'm going to give you three little things that just were in my heart as I studied this. Number one, one way you know you don't have a hard heart is you stop straining against the oars. You stop straining with the oars. 
you're trying to work and make it all work. You're trying to make all these relationships happen and you're going to go in and you're going to confront it and you're going to deal with it and you're going to take charge of it. Just stop straining with the oars. That's one way you know you're working for a soft heart. Quit trying to put it all together, trying to get it all settled, all worked out. Number two, one of the ways you know you don't have a hard heart is you are removed from torment and fear. You're removed from torment and fear. Number three, this is the best way to know you don't have a hard heart. You are left in a state of awe and reverence for God. You are left in a state of awe and reverence for God. Immediately after this, the boat landed. The boat landed. And the people saw Jesus. This is an amazing thing. And they started getting all their family members and all their friends, and they started laying him in the streets wherever he was going to go. The Bible says they passed over to this place in Gennar. Gennaraset. And the people put all their loved ones along the street. And Jesus paraded through. It's like a parade. But you know what they wanted that the disciples didn't want? They just wanted Jesus to pass by. Disciples missed it. But the people recognized he's God. And if we can just get our loved one on the street and get Jesus to pass by, that's all we need. It's beautiful to think about. The Bible says as many as touched him were healed. As many as touched him. If a hundred touched him, they were healed. If a thousand touched him, if two thousand touched him, if ten thousand touched him. You know why? Because Jesus' power is limitless. You can't limit it. You and I, we get tired. Jesus never gets tired. And as many as touched him were healed. Jesus never runs out of power because he's God. And the amazing thing is that same Jesus would die on a cross for our sin because like his power his grace is limitless you can never outdo the limitless grace of God that's an amazing thing to just enjoy sometimes you think foolishly I've done too much I've gone too far I've let Jesus down I can't come back Jesus says what are you talking about I just feel like I've done too much I'm just not the kind of Christian I need to be I'm not the person I need to be Jesus says, just ask me. Just ask me. Just ask me. If his power is limitless, so is his grace. Wherever you are in your life, those two things are limitless. His power and his grace. And when he comes and he says to you, just ask me. Just ask me. Okay, let's pray. Let's stand to our feet. While you're standing to your feet, your head bowed, your eyes closed, we're going to sing an invitation in just a minute, but before we do.
I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to do something here. I didn't know which way to go with this invitation, but I confirmed it this morning. I wonder if you are in a time where you seriously need Jesus to pass by you. You need, to, you need him to give you a revelation of his glory. You need to hear him say, take courage, don't be afraid. And if you need that encouragement today, I want you to slip out right now and I want you to come around this altar. Just right now, just come quickly. I'm not going to take a lot of time here, but I want to pray over you. I want to pray over every person that comes. I'm going to pray here just for these at the altar. I can see some of these faces at the altar and my heart breaks to think of what some are enduring and going through right now. So I want to pray over you here at this altar. Lord, I ask this day that you would pass by them, that you would give them a revelation of your glory your goodness, your holiness through the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, whether now or this afternoon, God, would you just make yourself real to them that they would hear you say, take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. Your situation may not change, but your presence can make all the difference in their life. So God, make it plain, make it clear to them that you're passing by today. And I lift them up, I bring them before you, God, that they may learn to kiss the wave that throws them against the rock of ages. God, I ask this in your precious name. In Jesus' name, I lift them up to you. You may go back to your seats. Thank you. Father, I come before you at this moment, and I ask now for everyone in this room that you'd send forth a blessing over them. And God, that that blessing would be real to them. And God, that they would lay hold of that. Keep each of us from a hardened heart. Seems the older we get, the longer we live, the more that we could be hard about. But God, keep us soft, receptive before you for your purposes. I lift it up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's sing together. Scott's going to lead us in a song right now.